seated. And hear these words from the Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So then, putting away all falsehood, let us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from your all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. It is good to be back with you. Last week, I was privileged to preach homecoming at the church I grew up in. And the church that shaped and formed me early in my life. Um, God moved in my life in a way that led me to a different place from the Baptist church that I grew up in. Um... But anybody here grow up Southern Baptist? And you admit it. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. So, listen, I grew up Southern Baptist. And that church, if I took anything away from that church, I took away the uh, ministry of Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. In fact, I told the congregation there last week that it was the fault of Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon that I became Methodist. <laughs> because as I was searching for a place for me to, to find a home. I read about John and Charles Wesley, and I heard the stories of Annie and Lottie and John and Charles. So, it's their fault. In the little town of Les Chabon, France, uh, during World War II, this small town hid the Jewish community from the Nazis. One of the Jewish children who was hidden would later write, nobody asked who was Jewish and who was not. Nobody asked where you were from. Nobody asked who your father was or if you could pay. They just accepted each of us, taking us in with warmth, sheltering, children often without their parents, children who cried in the night from nightmares. Professor Philip Hale, when doing research for his book, let innocent blood be shed. He went to Les Chabon, wondering what sort of courageous people lived there. Who would risk everything to do an extraordinary good? He interviewed people in the village and was overwhelmed by how ordinary they were. They didn't seem to be heroic or overly discerning. But his research did find one factor that united the community. It was their attendance and participation Sunday after Sunday at their little church where they heard the sermons of Pastor Trochme. Trochme was sent to the remote parish of Le Chabon because of his pacifist positions. 
which were not well received by the French Protestants. In preaching, he spoke out against discrimination as the Nazis were gaining power in neighboring Germany. And over time, as the people attended worship and heard the sermons of Pastor Trochmay, they became by habit a people who just knew what to do and did it. They listened to the sermons and then practiced what they had heard and learned. And when it came time for them to be courageous, the day the Nazis came to town, they quietly did what was right. They quietly did what they had been practicing all along, sharing the love of Jesus. And I tell you this story because at first glance, when you hear this uh, scripture from Ephesians, it looks like a, a list of do's and don'ts. But pay close attention to what was said before those behaviors. Paul said, put off or strip away the old self so God can give you a new self. In other words, we are being instructed to clear out the stuff in our life that gets in the way of us practicing love. We're being instructed to ask the Holy Spirit to help us make space in our lives for God's love and to practice this love. Now, it's important for you to know this scripture is written for those who are followers of Jesus, who become followers of Jesus. See, this is baptismal talk. Through this scripture, we hear the Apostle Paul nurturing the life of the newly baptized. And when we are baptized, we go under the waters of death and we die to our old self and we are raised into the new life of Christ. In fact, in the first liturgies of the early church, baptism was administered at sunrise. The baptismal candidate faced the west and renounced the forces of darkness and then would face the east to the rising sun and proclaim their allegiance to Jesus, the light of the world. And after they were baptized, they were actually literally stripped of their clothing and put new garments on, symbolizing that they had been adopted into the family of God by the work and salvation of Jesus Christ. So the behaviors of this passage that Paul is telling us about are not some way that we check off how good we are or earn some kind of Christian merit badge. It is that we give ourselves to God, wholly to God, and watch how the grace of God transforms us. If we are a thief, we'll be given the desire to work with our hands so we can offer to the needy. If we have been bitterness, had, had bitterness and wrath and anger, if we had gotten into the habit of bickering and slandering, by remembering our baptismal vows, we would die to these things that hinder us in our spiritual growth. Paul says that if we practice the vows of our baptism, if we practice the, the, the art of dying to ourselves and living in the power of Jesus' grace, we'll actually become kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. In short, when we claim the power of baptism, and live from the waters that grafted us into the family of God will become God-focused and others-focused. When we live in the vows of baptism, we live practicing love. So then the question is, right, what does practicing love look like? What does it look like to live out our baptismal vows? I'll offer you four words this morning that is at least one way to live out our baptismal vows. The words are charity, compassion, clemency, and commitment. In the book of Ephesians and other writings of Paul, Paul speaks of sharing with the needy, and that, of course, is an act of charity. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, 
at the end of that chapter, three things remain, faith, hope, and charity. And he says, the greatest of all is charity. Charity is desiring good for others and then acting in a way that will help people experience that goodness. It's much like what Pope Francis said about prayer. Pope Francis says, you pray for the hungry and then you feed them. This is how prayer works. Charity does not necessarily require feelings of affection either. But it does require us to act and behave charitably. One second century emperor publicly admitted that the people called Christians cared more for the poor of Rome than he did. He said he saw this in how they cared for one another and then how they lived into the lives of the poor in that same kind of love. You know, we always need to examine the life of the congregation in which we live and into the, our individual lives, asking, do we practice charity in our living? Not just to those whom it's easy to practice charity, but those who it's not. When I lived in Southport, I met a, a plastic surgeon, Dr. Ken White. He was kind enough to take the youth of the church I was serving, Trinity United Methodist, out on his yacht for a nice day on the water. By the way, he's a plastic surgeon. His yacht's, yacht's name was Suit Yourself. <laughs> but while the, while the youth were out having fun on the water, Ken and I were talking. And he was sharing with me that before becoming a plastic surgeon, during his time in residency, his mentor was Dr. John Woods. And Dr. Woods had um, researched and uh, lectured on spirituality and health and taught Ken not only about the medical um, problems of people and the, um, uh, the solutions for that, the, the treatments, but also the spiritual life of the patients. Ken said that on rounds one day, he followed Dr. Woods into a hospital room where the patient was just repulsive. She was ugly to Ken and his mentor. She spat at them and verbally abused them. And when Ken and the mentor left the patient's room, Dr. Woods turned to him and asked, Dr. White, can you love that woman? And Ken said he knew what his mentor was asking and that this question has shaped and formed his entire practice. It shaped how he, and molded how he developed habits of loving those to whom he offers care. So today, may we consider those who may be repulsive and ugly to us. And if we're quiet enough, Maybe we can hear our Lord asking, can we love that person? Practicing a life of charity, one day at a time, little by little, will empower us to grow into that. Then there's compassion. Though it's usually considered a feeling. Compassion really is a way of seeing another and a way of behaving toward them. It implies empathy that allows us to envision ourselves in the place of another person. You've heard the saying, walk a mile in their shoes. This brings our awareness of the suffering, but it couples it with our desire to help relieve that suffering. Paul was talking about compassion when he called for tenderheartedness. But this is really important. Tenderheartedness does not always feel warm and fuzzy. There's a great scene in the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson. The Brooklyn Dodgers were playing the Philadelphia Phillies, and the manager for the Phillies is just relentless. Um, Ta uh, taunting Jackie Robinson, the first African-American um, to play Major League Baseball. And after the ball game, Harold Parrott, a very quiet, 
uh, mild-mannered man, went to Branch Rickey's office. Branch Rickey was the owner of the, um, of the Dodgers. He went in there and said to Branch Rickey, I want to go over to that locker room and tear that guy's head off. And Branch Rickey just smiles. And Parrot asked Rickey what he thinks is so funny. And Branch Rickey, who, by the way, was Methodist, <laughs> said, Harold, what you're experiencing is compassion. He tells Harold Parrot that compassion is a word made up of two Latin phrases, calm, meaning with, and pate, means suffering. So to have compassion is to suffer with someone who finds themselves at a place of life's adversity. Harold Potter was suffering with Jackie Robinson. Before this, he didn't even want Robinson to be a part of the Dodgers. But now he was suffering with him. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And then there's clemency. Now, clemency means mercy, but I chose clemency because it starts with a C. Charity, compassion, clemency. Okay? But it means mercy. <clears throat> we pray each Sunday for mercy, do we not? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That we have something to forgive implies that we need to show clemency. We need to show mercy. Being church, living as God's people in the world, simply doesn't work without it. Archbishop Desmond Tutu tells of a person who had a particular besetting sin and used to confess it to God, and God would forgive him, but no sooner had God absolved him of sin that he would trip up and sin that sin again. And one day he happened to do this, and he rushed back to God and said, I'm sorry, I've done it again. And God says, what have you done again? For you see, God suffers from an, an amnesia when it comes to our confessed sins. It is in God's divine amnesia to our confessed sins that we find and discover power to live and the power of the Spirit to overcome those sins. Micah 7, 19 says, God will again have compassion on us. God will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And the psalmist says that God will remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. In the Lord's Prayer, we, we're offered clemency. And Jesus instructs us to ask God to forgive us and for us to forgive those who have wronged us. Practicing clemency is a, is a discipline for a lifetime. And we will not always get it right. We'll find ourselves committing sins by what we do and by what we don't do. But here's the thing. God will forgive us, so we must forgive others who have wronged us. And commitment is our last word. Commitment is the surrendering of ourselves to Christ. As Paul puts it here, be imitators of Christ. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And you know, that's a tall order. We're humans, and we, even though we claim Christ as Lord and Savior, we'll stumble and fall, and we will fail to imitate Christ at times. But the human condition doesn't give us a license just to give up. It's about a commitment. We are to be committed to practicing love and imitating Jesus. It's not an easy thing to do. In fact, sometimes it's so difficult, we end up being like the young man who walked into the card shop looking for an appropriate 
Valentine's card for his girlfriend. And he asked the store clerk for help, um, a card that would express his deepest devotion. And the clerk picked out the best-selling card and gave it to the man. It simply said, to the only girl I've ever loved. And the young man said, wonderful, I'll take six. <laughs> yeah, this young man had a problem with commitment. He wanted to play the field. How often do we want to play the field when it comes to our faithfulness in God to Christ? Commitment is the decision to follow Jesus and to imitate him. But like most promises, it's not a one-time pledge. Commitment needs daily renewal, fresh prayer, new immersion in the scriptures, being faithful to worship, and being connected to a community where we can grow in our spirits. Practicing love requires a lifetime of growing into the habits of charity and compassion and commitment and clemency. And this is how we learn to practice love. The Apostle Paul is calling on the early Christians not just to worship God with our, our prayers and our music, our, our sermons, but to worship after that. Going into the world, imitating Jesus after the worship service. Living out what it means to be a baptized person of God where we live out the vows of repentance and forgiveness. Participating in the life of the church. Participating in practicing love knowing that we are God's, we are claimed by God, that we are forgiven by God, that we are loved by God, and because of this, we can offer this same love and forgiveness to others. When we practice love day in and day out, maybe we'll become like the people of Le Chabon, France, that whenever we're called to imitate Christ, we'll not have to think about it because we'll have been doing it all along. So today, just as Paul invited and challenged the church of Ephesus to practice love. Let us accept this invitation and this challenge and 